0: I wrote the book I wish I'd had, Um, and I've been very intentional with the language of childlessness to to incorporate myself, certainly people who have walked through infertility or experienced miscarriage, but also single women who desire to be mothers, and that desire isn't being fulfilled. Birth mothers who have made an adoption plan for their children, and they don't have their children anymore. Women who have experienced abortion and don't have their children anymore.
1: On the Choose to Think podcast, I will encourage and empower you to engage and optimize your best thought life in practical, meaningful ways so that you can live day by day in joy, peace, and God's purpose despite all externals. This is Victoria, and welcome back to the Choose to Think podcast. I'm so glad you're here. what little I know about Chelsea Sobolik is that she is an amazing woman of God and she has such a heart for God she's an extraordinary writer matter of fact that's how I first stumbled upon her whole ministry and and I was so encouraged I, I backtracked a little bit Chelsea to the actual episode I referenced you in that particular article it was a it was a uh, the Gospel Coalition article. You wrote it, I guess, back in 2014. And it was probably about 10 episodes or so because I was writing about being patient and waiting. And I study the Psalms on the Choose to Think podcast. I kind of flip between interviews and my own personal studies of the Psalms. And that's where we crisscrossed. But first of all, welcome to the show before I get going anymore. Thank you so much, I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Um, So let me read you Chelsea's bio. She serves as the Director of Public Policy with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission in the Washington DC office. Previously, she worked on Capitol Hill on pro-life policies, domestic and international religious freedom, adoption, and foster care issues. Chelsea has been published at the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, The Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, and others. She's the author of Longing for Motherhood, Holding on to Hope in the Midst of Childlessness, and she has a forthcoming book on women and work. She has a B.A., in international relations from Liberty University, and she lives in D.C. with her husband, Michael. So, oh, my goodness, that is that's quite the bio. I'm just like, oh, all these pieces you've written and the voice that you take to our capital. I just can't imagine. So maybe, Chelsea, tell us a little bit about where you're from and how you got from to where you are now, really? How how did all that happen? Just tell just tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So
0: I was actually born in Romania,
1: um, which
0: no one really knew where that was until fairly recently, with all this going on um, right now between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, but I was born in Romania um, right after the fall of the Iron Curtain in that part of the world. Adopted as a as an infant, um, and grew up in North Carolina. Um, I grew up, uh, there's, uh, six kids in my family. All of us are international adoptees. Um, so I grew up with a a thinking adoption was normal. It was, it was my normal and uh, I have a big, big heart for, for vulnerable children, but I went to school in Virginia and then I had actually planned, I studied international relations. I had planned to move overseas and use my degree, um, overseas and, a lot, long story short, the Lord pretty drastically redirected my steps to, to Washington, D.C. Um, and I've been here a decade now um, serving. I served at nonprofits, worked on Capitol Hill, and now I work for the public policy and ethics arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. So, you know, a lot of people in, in D.C., D.C. was always their dream and their hope and their goal. And that, that just was never me. Um, but the longer I've been here, the more I've developed such a a deep heart for, for Christians serving in, in government, uh, working on public policy, um, helping advance, um, human flourishing through good public policy. And, um, you know, it can, can get in the weeds sometimes, but I, I take great joy in um, in what I get to do professionally. And, uh, just, it, it surprised me, uh, that I've, I I came here that I've stayed here, uh, but the Lord, the Lord has been so sovereign over every single step. That's a very brief, very brief overview.
1: Okay. So what made you write your book? And because I do want to unpack that a little bit and talk about the, the aching heart. I think that will appeal to many of my listeners who may struggle with anxiety or depression or just kind of life and all that we juggle as women and we have our families, we have our work. Thank goodness you're writing a book about that. What, you know, tell us a little bit about what made you write that book. So I found out when I
0: was 18 years old that I was born with a somewhat rare medical condition that mm. would prevent me from having children. And my circumstance was was quite unique because most most people, when they walk through infertility or some type of childlessness, they do so in the context of a marriage. And I was a freshman in college, um, and I had received this diagnosis over Thanksgiving. Um, and a person's fertility is such an intimate part of them. And I felt so, um, just so alone in that journey. I I've always been a big reader um, and I walked out of the doors of the doctor's office and into the doors of the local Barnes and Noble to kind of buy books that would help me through that, that struggle. um, Because it was, I mean, it really did flip a lot of my life on its, on its head. It wasn't obviously how I I would have planned, how I was planning on my life to go. And, um, but what I discovered that was that there were, very, very few books on the topic at all, Um, but I didn't fit into any of the categories. It was either very specific miscarriage or infertility, and neither one of those quite, quite defined me, Um, so what I did instead was bought every book on suffering I could uh, find and um, read those. Really, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I had considered myself a Christian for for most of my life but this was my first personal encounter with suffering and really wrestled with the lord through that and it wasn't this quick and easy process it was months of of um there's actually a little a little prayer chapel on liberty's campus and i would go pretty frequently um and just wrestle in prayer there because it was private and at that time i i didn't feel comfortable sharing with a lot of people um, I, I didn't know how and I was still grieving that um, but I mean it was a decade later that I chose to write longing for motherhood and I, I did that very intentionally to give myself time to heal and to write from a scar not a, a, a fresh wound but I, I wrote the book I wish I'd had um, and I've been very intentional with the language of childlessness to 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 incorporate myself certainly people who have walked through infertility or experienced miscarriage but also single women who desire to be mothers and that desire isn't being fulfilled birth mothers who have made an adoption plan for their children and they don't have their children anymore women who have experienced abortion and don't have their children anymore I really wanted to be pretty inclusive in that because you know there's dozens of ways that childlessness can play out but uh, really wanted to I, I wrote the book I wish I'd had and kind of my goal was if I can help one woman a not feel alone but b fix her eyes on who God is in the midst of struggle um it will have been worth it and you know I another thing I've been very intentional with is some of the books and i I mean this with the most gracious heart, but some of the books I had read on suffering really rubbed me the wrong way because the the book ended, the person's story, they, they ended the book with getting what they wanted, tying a nice little bow on their story. And there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with, with that at all. But what frustrated me about those books was that was the conclusion. Mm-hmm. I trusted God and I got what I wanted. And that's just not life. Sometimes we trust God and cling to his promises and we might not get our earthly desires fulfilled on this side of eternity. And so my husband and I are in the adoption process, but I really wanted to be intentional writing my story, not yet having it fulfilled and not, not, know. I'm hopeful and prayerful that our adoption is, uh, able to, 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 uh, we're able to adapt, but But I wanted to show people God's character in the midst of the messy middle and the tension and
1: unresolved longings. Mm, I think that so echoed that article that I read also with the Gospel Coalition. It was just, you know, well, in fact, I, I have a few of the lines of that article highlighted and you you start may i read part of this is this okay if i just read a Absolutely. Teeny part? It? yeah you start Absolutely. with a broken body a rebellious sister an unsaved brother disease that has forever changed my family daily difficulties of sin nature sometimes the list of my trials and suffering threatened to overshadow my gaze of the father the pain of living in a fallen world that weaves itself into my heart attempts to steal my affections for my savior And then the next line is, how long, O Lord, my weary soul cries out, echoing the the words of Psalm 13. And you go on to write a few of the other Psalms. All my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me in the light of my eyes. It also has gone for me. That's Psalm 38. I call to you when my heart is faint. I am weary with my crying. And you also say, And I had not heard this quote before, but John Calvin described the Psalms as an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. I love that. And that's one of the reasons I think that when when we struggle, what better book to go to than the Psalms? Because David so describes his emotions and feelings and events to the Lord, but he tends to conclude with, yet I will praise you, God. It's almost, he always, he does kind of wrap it up with, I don't, it's, he's not focusing on the outcome necessarily, though he describes Mm -hmm. what he would like to have happen. But then he says, almost no matter, I'm going to just keep clinging to you, looking to you and praising your name and trusting you. And gosh, that's hard to do in the here and now of it. And thank you for mentioning that so many of those books on suffering were so positive in the end. And which is wonderful. And many times you and I could say, yeah, well, it's been positive sometimes for us too, but there are times when it, it just doesn't work out. I can even remember sitting in Wednesday night church classes or Sunday school classes. And I would just look around and everyone seemed to be Sally super Christian and, and always giving praise to the Lord and always. um, I don't know. They seemed to do life in a way that I didn't. And I I just Mm -hmm. would walk out feeling like, like either what's wrong with me or what am I not doing right as a Christian? Why is this not working out for I don't know? It would just now I've I've come beyond that and maybe matured a little bit through that. And and I don't quite see it that way. But but I also discovered that when I flat out said during those classes, hold on, wait a minute. Is anybody struggling? Then suddenly the ten, it's like the everything just fell and everyone was like, Oh yes, Victoria. Oh yes. Oh yes. And let me tell you this and this and this. So it was almost like a a quiet suffering though. They may have appeared to kind of have everything. Everything was, you know, glory be to God kind of thing. But, but I, I want to go back to one little thing you said though, on the language of childlessness. And I think I understood that you meant in the book being intentional about creating that scaffolding and that language there what I think I understood that you mean is that you're also trying to to describe or include kind of any degree of childlessness is that what you meant by really being intentional about the language of childlessness it is because I think so often
0: there are certain demographics that can be overlooked Um, and I wanted to make sure um, to come alongside them. Well, I obviously don't have personal experience in all of those different Mm -hmm. experiences. I included the stories of, of, uh, women who do, um, but wanted to make sure that I was recognizing, um, the different ways that childlessness
1: could play out. Gotcha. Gotcha. About your book, I have a few notes. I think this was actually maybe on your cover and you talk about how childlessness remains a taboo topic in today's culture, is that really true? Or is that, you know, okay, well, what did you mean by that? How, how is childlessness taboo? Does that relate to your being intentional about the language and, and just trying to make sure you're, uh, you know, looking at the different demographics? Is that what you meant by that too? Such a good question, what, what I meant is, you know,
0: it is walking through childlessness, whatever way it plays out can be such a personal and private struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be very easy, you know, either from the pulpit or, um, you know, when when a pastor is, is speaking to overlook childlessness or not address it because it is such an intimate part of part of someone Mm. um and i think i I've, i've certainly seen even since i've published my book gosh four or five years ago i've even seen the pendulum swinging but for for example i used to um i won't say the name of the church but a church i attended um on sunday evenings they would they would bring um people up and they could announce their engagements and they could announce pregnancies and um while there's nothing of course nothing wrong with with celebrating both of those um, what it did was um, well, I, I think two things in my mind. number one, it it those things, in my opinion, not to be celebrated with people who know those those people, not necessarily a thousand person church. And number two, um, there was never language used of we're celebrating God's good gifts here and we're also mourning and grieving with those who desire these things but don't have them. it was mm-hmm. it was pretty one-sided and that church has since stopped doing that um but but things like that that can just be unintentionally harmful or hurtful to people who mm. have strong desires and god created us to desire or, or many of us do desire parenthood um and, and that's a good god-given desire um and i think just just ensuring that we're we're remembering that not everyone enters into marriage or parenthood easily or on this side of eternity.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Why is adoption important?
0: Oh my goodness. I could talk about this, this topic uh, for hours and hours. Um, obviously I have a, a very personal connection to this, to this issue. Um, and, and in the, the second half of the book, I discuss different, different avenues to, parenthood and you know I I will say right now not everyone should adopt and not everyone is called to adopt and that is that is okay um you know adoption um shouldn't be kind of a, a plan b um, I think there should be a lot of prayer and intentionality um for couples who who enter into adoption um because there's not only um the adopted child, but also uh, a potential birth mom or being uh, understanding uh, that you need to honor all parties involved. And I think for a while it was, it was kind of viewed as um, this almost easy alternative to parenthood. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of education that needs to to be surrounded, uh, surrounding adoption. There are um, 400 Thousand over four hundred thousand children in your or U.S. foster care system today. Mm -hmm. Approximately uh, one fourth of those children are eligible for adoption. There are millions of children um, around the world who have either lost one or both parents, Um, and that that number is actually increased during COVID because in developing countries, children have lost parents or caregivers. So, you know, I I do think it is something that the church um, should. Should really think about how we can care for vulnerable children, both domestically and and abroad. And again, not everyone is called to adopt, but you know, James one twenty seven does yes. call all of us to care for um, the and fatherless infant. and the, yeah. yes, and, and um, widows and so I do think we are all called to care for uh, orphans. It just it'll look different for for all of us. My husband and I are adopting, but also if, if people don't feel called to that, they can financially support organizations or or couples who are adopting or you know, there's, there's dozens and dozens of ways to get involved in, in caring for vulnerable children. But I think it's a very important piece of the conversation and one that um, I've, I've seen continued education around um, and uh, just handling that topic Mm. from my perspective with, with great care.
1: What has been the hardest element of your journey with adoption as you you and your husband are walking this through on the other side of your own parents, adopted parents, what, how, what's been hard about that for you? My
0: goodness. That's a good question. I think what's so hard, we're doing an international adoption. Okay. Um, What is, what has been very challenging is, is the waiting. We are, there's nothing right now on our plate. We've, we've done our home study, we've done, done so much and we're waiting. And, you know, every day I check my email to see if we have an email from our agency or check, check the mailbox. And, um, you know, the, the, I think one of the hard things about adoption um, is there's, there's no known end date when you're pregnant, you know, ready or not in nine months, a baby's coming and with adoption, we have no it could be six more months, it could be three more years. We have no idea. And so the waiting is quite challenging um, and trusting that, that God is God's word is true when He says His timing is perfect. And there are um, thousands of things going on that we don't know. And all these we're adapting from India and all these things happening in India. And, um, so, so really surrendering trust to the Lord and saying, even if I wanted to, <laughs> there's nothing I could do. But, but trusting him in the midst of, of of waiting and uh, feeling impatient and wanting this yesterday, and um, and
1: just trusting him in that. Mm. And I think if you know if, if you said how many are fond of waiting, you wouldn't get one hand up. We that's such a universal feeling or emotion that we all have to deal with. And it may not be waiting as in an adoption, but it could be waiting for so many different things in our lives. And I, I don't know about you, but, but for fun, sort of for fun for the last couple of years, I've, I've prayed through asking God, could you just give me a word for the year? And, you know, some people do that and that's kind of like your little theme word and, and you, you know, you explore it and research it and. So I had so much fun doing that this year, but I felt like the Lord was telling me my word was patience. And I mm. I was walking and praying and I'm like, mm, I think I missed that Lord. I don't <laughs> think that's what you're telling me. Because I want a good, good word, like Mm -hmm. joy and, you know, freedom and just something that's charged with all this energy and is moving and momentum. And, and so I just ditched it. And then a week or so later I was praying again and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Patience really? Mm. And that was for 2022, but now Chelsea, once I studied that word and I am it has been, it has proven to be the most powerful word in my life and tailor fit for me, it seems. And patience also means long suffering. Okay. Nobody wants that, but it also means endurance and it means relying on God and trusting him. So it was almost as if I was challenged in my spiritual life to take a step up and just, despite what's going on, all the externals and just to just, I, I'm, I'm, I can't control these things anyway, but my nature would want to, what can I make it move? Can I, can I get going and what, where can I push and where can I pull and, and I'll tell someone how to do this. And, and, but now I'm just standing and, and just allowing God to do his thing. And it's, you know, we're yoked to Christ. I I have a big, huge yoke in my office uh, uh, and it's an actual yoke from Kentucky and was my granddad's and it weighs about 27 pounds. And, and I I tried to put that over my neck once. And of course it's, I can't do that. And, but when Jesus says that his yoke is easy and light. Mm -hmm. So I like to think of myself as just, as I'm standing, as I'm being patient, to the best of my ability, relying on God, trusting him, resting in that. I picture myself just yoked with Christ, that easy mm-hmm. and light yoke. And he's going to do the maneuvering. You know, we have c- c- cattle used to wear that. And the big steers that would plow the, my, my granddad's farm. And, and so, you know, I'm just there in one, there was always one lead cow or ox would be the lead one that just would, would, pull a little or nudge a little. And that's the way I kind of look at, at Christ and all of that, but the waiting such a beautiful picture Mm -hmm. and like mental picture to, to,
0: to hang on to.
1: Yeah. It's, and it's so meaningful. I mean, my, my uncle had the yoke and, and he displayed it in his, one of his workshops, I think, or his garage and with a lot of ancient or old antiquey kind of tools and, And after he passed, I'm like, I'm going to ask my aunt, you know, she, she said, whatever you all want. And so anyway, that was, I'm like, yes, I want that yoke because I tend to strive and I tend to, um, just, you know, kind of relentless and, and certainly you would need to be that way in your profession, I'm thinking. And so sometimes we take that to even our, you know, in all areas of our lives when really, there's a good deal of resting to be had and it's not always up to us. And it's that, that surrender that you mentioned is really, gosh, it's so much, I I like that so much better than, you know, the, let me put this Mm -hmm. yoke on myself and I'll do it. And so that's, that's really, that's really interesting. Well, what is like how about your siblings? I'm just kind of curious about you. you were one of six. Did I get that right? I am. Yes. 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 So are they kind of in this journey with you? Are they also adopting? Are they, you know, what's their, what's their take on that? I'm just curious. So I am the only one of my siblings who has left
0: North Carolina. So everyone's, everyone's still in North Carolina and I have two uh, siblings who are married and uh, a niece and a nephew uh, but I know um, I know uh, multiple of my siblings have have mentioned possibly adopting in the future and um, so we'll see but they I mean they've all been such such great cheerleaders and my parents have been incre- and my in-laws have been incredible cheerleaders mm-hmm. and I'm so thankful um, to have to have family who who gets it at such a deep level and mm-hmm. who can cheer us on and celebrate when we have, have good days and, and cry and, and come alongside of us when we have hard days.
1: Right. And also that, and I, I wasn't even thinking about the age of your siblings either, as I'm saying that I thought, Oh, they could be so young and, you know, who knows, but um, I have one of, some of my cousins have, have adopted a, a lot. My sister has adopted. So we have a lot of adoption in, in our family and, and, and I also quote adopt as many kids as I can, as far as, you know, as my kids were growing up. As a matter of fact, let me see if I can find it. One of my favorite, uh, I don't know where my little, it's a little thing that, and I may have moved it. I did have it back. Oh, it's right in front of me. It's this. <laughs> oh, I love that. That was from one of my, I have, uh, one daughter and three sons and they're all married now. And And, um, and Matthew is the one I was telling you about who also married a, uh, my lovely daughter in love who was from Romania and, and, um, but anyway, this was one from one of their buddies who comes to, we have Friday family fun night almost every Friday without fail done that for almost 30 years. And, Mm. and so, and it was just like, bring your kids or friends, bring your friends and, and and i would feed them and and it continued from just little neighborhood kids all the way through college and now they're all having you know growing their families and 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 they're we still we still gather together so it's such a blessing to do that but well and what a
0: beautiful legacy that's such is. a beautiful legacy for your your community
1: Yes. Do you like traditions too? Are you? I do. I do.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
1: What do you have? What is your favorite tradition?
0: Right now, my husband and I do every Friday night pizza night and (laughs) like pizza movie night, and definitely want to continue that into into when we have kiddos of our own.
1: um, That's awesome. And what you'll discover, Chelsea, is that I promise you, if you will put food on the table, and I mean, like, you're—I don't know if you like to cook, but you know, just, and it doesn't have to be elaborate, but just the food, and especially for the college age, this is so many years down the road for you, but (laughs) these college kids who, you know, they're eating fast food or junk or whatever, and they would come, it was like, they were just so blessed by that, and I'm just cooking Mm -hmm. right, but Mm -hmm. it was, it could feed a lot of people, and they would, they just were so appreciative of that, and I also discovered I made them all do the cleanup. And so they all got little chore cards. Everyone had to, you know, because it was a lot of it was great like 15 yeah. or 18 people. And, and so they would just, you know, to, like one person had to sweep the kitchen, one had to wash the big heavy pots. And anyway, it was just a lot of fun. It has been, I know that that tradition will outlive me. I feel mm-hmm. quite certain that it will. And I'm, I'm so grateful that through all of these years that that we kept doing that and that we said no to other engagements on a Friday night and that even my kids were bringing their friends and they would come to the Walker house and I could still play with them and we would do board games. We would, I mean, just whatever. It was just communicative. We had a rule about cell phones, you know, they couldn't bring their cell phones had to go in one spot. It was just all a face to face kind of stuff. And it was so, I, I knew it was like sacred to me along Mm -hmm. the way. And, and those traditions are, are just so important. Well, I have another question about for you also, because I could just wag on about all these, these building a family and, Mm -hmm. and welcoming in and hostessing and opening our homes and our hearts, whatever that may look like. And, you know, I've been a, I was a single mom for 20 years and God still allowed me to do something so Mm -hmm. magnificent and huge in, in my family. And, and it's just a testimony of his goodness and his glory. And it's an amazing thing to me. So I could really talk forever about that, but, but I want to know why your work in Washington is important. Why is it making a difference?
0: You know, public policy impacts thousands and millions of people's lives. And um, part of my job is to help advance good public policy that will help help people I will never meet um, flourish, whether it's here in the United States or, or abroad. And then on the flip side, help stave off harmful policy. There's a bill uh, today that's coming before the uh, the uh, U.S. Senate that would allow for abortion for any reason, up to nine months through through nine months of of pregnancy. And as a Christian, I believe life begins. At, scripture tells me life begins at conception, and that's a harmful bill for our preborn neighbors. And so, uh, policy really does have huge implications on our day to day lives. And and some policies we might not even think about, you know, highways and river rivers and things like that that we just don't think about but but then there are issues that um that do impact um human flourishing and so um my my role is to get to represent southern baptists before congress the administration and the courts and advocate on on their behalf and say this is what what christians care about and this is uh, this is how we think that um, that government should should behave and respond in certain situations. So, um, it's I, I I love what I get to do. I really do.
1: How do you handle discouragement, like in the day to day of it all?
0: Such a this is actually something I've thought quite a lot about because this this work is hard, especially working on some of the issues. You know a genocide in China, abortion in the U.S., human trafficking around the world. They're very difficult issues. I think two things, um, you know, there's there's a phrase from Eugene Peterson, um, it's the title of one of his books, along obedience in the same direction. And that has stuck with me so deeply because I want to I want to commit to this work for the long haul. And that means that I need to structure my personal life in such a way that allows me to flourish because I know there will be days and seasons of, of exhaustion, of discouragement, of frustration. Um, sometimes there are, all those seasons collide and it's all at once, but, um, c- structuring my, my life in such a way that, that I'm able to, um, to have the emotional and mental bandwidth to, 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 mm-hmm. to do this work for the long haul. So for me, that means technology boundaries. Um, I do not need to be glued to my phone 24 seven. Um, the sun will rise if I don't answer an email quickly, you know, th- things like that. And I, I want to be good at my job, but no one needs me to be responding to emails at 10 PM, things like that. I am very, um, diligent about honoring the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Lord blesses that the Lord blesses setting aside a day to say, we are not God. We can rest because God can continue the work without us. Um, and, and, and a- another thing is the importance of, of community um, in DC mm-hmm. of, of my local church of deep, deep friendships that I've had for a decade here. And as we think about collectively, how to commit and how to do this this work for the long haul. Um I know I'm not by myself. I'm not a silo. I have I have community here. So those are a couple of things that help me because the seasons of discouragement and frustration and exhaustion, they come. They come and um I I don't want to um I I don't want to I want to be the best I can be at my job and and that means that I need to structure my life differently. Mm
1: how can we best support you in what you're doing now? What could we do to support you and your efforts Mm -hmm. in DC? What could we do?
0: You know, I think so many, it can be so easy to think I need to come to Washington to make a difference and nothing could be further from the truth. This is where God has called me for this season, but prayer, prayer matters so Mm -hmm. deeply. Um, There's, you know, there's always, I mean, there's, so much we can pray about but you know for example there's i, I mentioned the the genocide of the weaker muslims happening in china right now i cannot go over there but i can pray on their behalf for mm. persecuted muslims or persecuted christians for for people around the world you know refugees fleeing ukraine things like that we can we can pray for them and um and it makes a difference and so i uh, prayer prayer deeply matters and um I'm in my 30s, but the older I get, the more deeply I'm convinced. I, f- I forgot that co- who said this, but I think it, it may have been Martin Luther, but don't quote me on that. But he he said something to the effect of he can't he has to start his day with two hours of prayer or else he's unproductive or something right. something to that effect. Or, um, but prayer it matters, it really does. And um, there will be so many times throughout my day where I'll get really frustrated at something or someone said something that hurt me or I was misunderstood in my work or, or whatnot. And I will um, use those times to just, I have a Bible on my desk and just kind of take a minute to take a deep breath and and pray over that. And um, there's, um, uh, there's, I don't know if um, you've heard of the liturgy book, Every Moment mm-hmm. Holy, but there's one for the hours, morning, uh, midday and evening. And Um, I usually will try to set aside time when I first get to work to read the morning liturgy um, Mm. over my day and then um, the midday one. I'm not as great about the evening one, but I'm trying to build that into my life
1: as well. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for your bravery and your courage, your tenacity, your values that you're upholding and you're bringing and your voice Thank you so much for your service to our country. That is, it's, I'm just so proud of you and so excited about what you're doing and so impressed by your heart for God and how you seek him and how that makes a difference in your life, how your words have become your action. Just hats off to you, Chelsea. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you. And can you tell everyone how we can get in touch with you? I will put the, your book and the link in the show notes for sure. And is there any other, can we go to your website or what's the best way to reach out to you? Absolutely. So social media
0: and my website, um, my website is chelseapattersonsoflick.com. And then uh, I probably enjoy Instagram the most. So I'm probably over there the most, but also on Twitter and all the places what is
1: your handle in instagram is it chelsea Chelsea Mm Sobelik? okay all right and again we'll have all that in the show notes but thank you so much and as we close would you mind praying for that woman who is silently suffering right now and let's just say it is about childlessness would you mind praying for her
0: Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you um, right now, and we know that you have already um, gone before us, and you know um, you know who will listen to our conversation. Lord, you know all the deep, um, the deep longings and desires and struggles of, of every single listener. But Lord, I specifically um, and intentionally lift up um, men and women who both desire parenthood, and it is not coming quickly or easily. Lord, I pray um, that you would comfort their hearts in the time of um, deep longing and deep um, sorrow as they navigate um, unfulfilled desire. Lord, I pray that you would remind um, their hearts of of truth in the midst of, of challenging times. Lord, you promise in your word that you will never leave or forsake your children, and we ask that um, for hearts that are weary and hearts that um, are struggling to believe that truth, that you will um, just lift lift them up and put fresh fresh wind and fresh hope in their souls, and that they will um, be reminded to trust in you um, again and again. Lord, we we pray and we ask that ask that those desires are fulfilled. Um, Lord, you tell us to ask, and we ask. Um, and Lord, we we thank you um, that that Scripture shows and tells us that that you care about all facets of our life, and that that we can bring um, that we can bring ourselves to you, and that you um, hear us and see us and love us um, and meet us um, when we're in the lowest pit. Lord, I thank you for who you are. And I ask all
1: this in Christ in Amen. It's a wrap, Brain Changer. And until next time, Dios primero y que Dios te bendiga. Chao.